morning, get a little, little, a little more, uh, more practical today, and today we're going to talk about one of those areas that is such a huge part and such a huge opportunity for us to find a stronghold. And the place we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about fear. We're talking about fear, and today we're going to learn from Jesus how to think differently about fear. That's important this morning, Right? We're not just going to learn from him how to, what, he, what, what to do. We're going to learn from him how to think differently. Because in many ways, if the enemy can get us a stronghold of fear in our lives, what so often happens is that that affects how we do things. It affects how we make decisions. It affects so much our lives that we become completely uh, uh, unable to do what God has called us to do. That's not a good place to live. And so we want to walk away from those things. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God gives an important commandment. He says, fear not. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty, straight, pretty straightforward, right? When God says, fear not, he means what? Don't fear, right? That's pretty straightforward, pretty easy to understand. The problem is, is that, again, this is where the stronghold can come. We know what God's word says not to fear, but so often we find ourselves in the light in the world of speculation and ideals where we become unstable and not very sure-footed because we still fear sometimes, don't we? Now, maybe you're a perfect person and you're much better than me, but i got to be honest this morning. Sometimes I fear, right? And so do you. Sometimes we deal with fear in our, in our world nowadays. i got a question for you. What are you most fearful of? When I was a, a, a youth pastor, the associate pastor of the church I worked at was deathly afraid of spiders. Okay, this is a pretty strong guy, pretty big guy. He, you know, he drove trucks. He, he was a hunter. I mean, he was a man's man, okay? He really was. But you give him a spider, and this guy will cry like a little girl. So knowing this, what I would oftentimes do is I would get, I had a box of fake spiders in my office. And I, I, I hid them so he didn't know where they were. He actually tried to find them, and, and he didn't know where they were. And every once in a while, I would go into his office. I'd get there early in the morning, and I would tape a spider to his computer, or I'd tape a spider to his, his seat. Or a few times, I used, I used fishing line, and I would hang it from his ceiling. So we'd walk in, there's a spider sitting there, and you'd think he'd get it, right? And, and I love doing this because I would get there early, do all this, set, set it up. i go sit in my office, and I'd wait for him to get there. He was next, 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 office next to me. And I would sit there, wait for him to come. And he'd come in, and this guy would scream like a baby. I mean, it was awesome. Ah, he'd scream, and he'd get this thing, and he would, you know, get it down. He'd come in the office, he'd point, he'd show it to me, and he would say, what is this? And I would laugh, and it was pretty funny. Because the guy was deathly afraid of spiders. What are you scared of? You're afraid of spiders? You're afraid of, of maybe rats? I'm scared of rats. Uh, are you afraid of uh, failure? Are you afraid of, of, of you know, food poisoning? I mean, there's so many things, icy roads. What are you afraid of this morning? For many of us, it's been said that the fear of speaking in public is probably our greatest fear. 
Actually, a lot of people uh, would prefer to die before they speak in public, right? Uh, you've heard it before. Maybe you're like that this morning. Uh, I remember my first time ever speaking in public was right here in this very spot uh, when I was in ninth grade, and I received the Gold Medal of Achievement for Royal Rangers. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's our Wednesday night voice program, Royal Rangers. It's a great thing. If your kids aren't a part of that, get them here. On Wednesdays, we have Rangers, and we have uh, Impact Club for Girls. Great things, important things for our kids to be a part of. And I was a part of that, so we received the the, the, the highest award, the gold medal of achievement, it was a great thing. And part of that, we had a ceremony for me, and I had to speak for 15 minutes. That was terrifying. And, you know, no one, my mom doesn't know this, no one knows this. Before it happened, I was in the bathroom back here throwing up because I was so afraid of speaking in public. I was scared of it. I couldn't stand it. I thought I was, was going to fail. It was going to be terrible. Uh, I had to go for 15 minutes of preaching a message. I was scared to death. And, and actually, there's a tape of this moment. There's a, I have a, a cassette tape of this. Uh, yes, back then we, had t- we didn't have CDs. We had tapes. And so uh, I, had a, I have a cassette tape of this. And it is locked away under lock and key because listening to this tape, I actually heard it a few years ago, listening is just as painful as being in there. Uh, let me tell you, it was, it was a bad, bad moment. And so uh, what's so funny is now I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher now. Uh, God has a sense of humor, uh, certainly. But, but again, I'm, I'm a pretty confident person for the most part. But I have fear sometimes. And so do you, Right? We all do. The cool thing is, is we're in good company because Jesus also experienced fear. Listen to this uh, this morning and or turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 today. And we're going to look at uh, t- verse 20, or, or, sorry, starting in verse 39 of chapter 22 of Luke. And as you turn there today, I want to set the stage a little bit for you guys. This story we're, we're going to read this morning takes place not long before Jesus is to be going to be killed on the cross, crucified on the cross, in what was the most vile, most terrible, most horrible way for someone to die. It was reserved from the worst of criminals. And Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, that's about to happen to him. And this is the context of this passage. We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is completely off topic, but I think it's fascinating. The Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane actually means, the word Gethsemane means oil press. And uh, that's a cool thing because if you look at the symbolism of oil and the Holy Spirit and the healing and, you know, being anointed with oil and such for, to, for, for healing and, and such, what an interesting thing that that is. Uh, Jesus is here uh, just before he's being, he's being pressed, basically, and like no one else ever has on the cross. He finds himself here praying in this garden. Uh, and again, the guard, which means oil press. Gethsemane was a, it was a stand of, of, of oil, of, of olive trees, which is probably the most productive of olive trees in all of the area, right at the foot of, of the Mount of Olives. And here he is in the garden of the oil press, about to be pressed, and he's praying these words. And he says right here, starting in verse 39, and it, came to, and it came out and went, as he came and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Verse 40. And when they came to the place, they said to him, pray that you will not enter into temptation. And when he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, verse 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, that's an important word there, being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now there's an important word there I want to focus on today for a minute. And it's the word agony. It's the word agony. Now that word in Greek is agonia. And that's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it's kind of easy to know. And what the word means in Greek and is similar to what it means in English is it, is it means basically severe mental and emotional struggles in fear. That's an important thing right there. That comes right from the Bible dictionary. Severe emotional struggles in fear. So here we have Jesus who is the Savior of the world, who is the same Jesus that rose Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus that turned water into wine, the same Jesus that healed, that delivered, that did some amazing things in the Bible up to this point. There's some cool things he does here just before he's about to die. He is in agony, severe mental and emotional struggles and fear. Now, the eyewitness here, Luke, uh, he's the one who wrote this, this, this book. Uh, Luke is a doctor. And so Luke catches something that a doctor would catch. And so uh, Luke catches a detail here in this passage that nobody else catches. Of course, you, maybe if you know, uh, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're synoptic, which means same. They, they, they tell a similar story of a similar thing that happened basically through Jesus' life. That's four people. They're eyewitness accounts of his life. Luke catches something here that nobody else catches. He says in verse 44 here, he says that Jesus' sweat became like drops of blood. Now what's interesting about this is that this is actually a medical condition. And what it's called, it's called hematroidosis. And wow, I said it right. I practiced a bunch of times. Hematroidosis. It's an actual real medical situation and what that is, is it is, it is, it is very rare, it is very, it's not very common, but what happens is the person becomes so, uh, engrall, so enthralled and so stressed and so, so pressed that what happens is their blood vessels begin to pop in their face. And the blood, you know, basically it's disgusting, but it mixes with their sweat glands and they, begin, they start to sweat drops of blood. Now, I wanted to show a picture of this, but I didn't want to gross you out. Uh, there's actually pictures on the internet, and uh, it's disgusting. Just see what happens right here. Uh, it, it happens. It does happen. It's a real thing, and Luke catches this. It's important to see what's going on here. It's, he sees this detail here that's very, very important. Jesus was not just fearful. He was extremely fearful. He was very fearful. Now, the problem for many of us is that fear stops us from moving forward with God, doesn't it? That's the problem for a lot of us. In my life and in my experience, I can think of times when God has spoken something to me to do, and because of my fear, I have not done that. And, it's, and what's happened is that my fear has held me from doing God's will. 
Jesus here was clearly fearful. He was clearly in agony. He clearly knew what was about to happen. But the difference right here with Jesus is that the fear did not stop him from moving forward. His fear, he defeated his fear. And because he did, so can we. And he shows us how to do that in, this, in, in the passages following. Now, before we get to that today, I want to talk about this here. Because there's, there's many times, if you read the scriptures, where Jesus could have feared, but he didn't. So why here? Why now? Why this moment? Why now, when he has come to do this amazing thing, why is this a spot where he's fearful and not elsewhere? And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he came to show us not only that he was the Savior of the world, but also to show us how to live. Jesus was our example at life. He was our example in how we live. He was our example in how our actions were. So he came to show us, and let's be honest this morning, that if somebody is going to show us something, it's far more effective if that person can relate to us too, right? We got the, the holidays coming up. We got Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I love this time of the year because I love to eat. And that's what this time of the year is all about. And, and, but you know, also, inevitably every year, after Christmas is over, after all the food and the snacking and the cookies are gone, we all want to get back in shape, right? We all want to come start working out. You know, the, the first few weeks of the new year, the gyms are all full of people that are working out, and they're getting back in shape, and it lasts for about a month, and then it's gone. And, and, and we, we want that. Imagine if a person, if you say, man, I want to get in shape, and you found a trainer, and this trainer was just this natural, like never ever had a problem with weight, or they were just perfectly, you know, strong, they were perfectly in shape, they, they could eat whatever they wanted, and they never had to deal with weights or whatever. Imagine that person wanted to train you. You'd laugh at them, right? You'd say, you have no idea what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to eat this and have to put it on and that kind of stuff. You can't relate to me, Right? Well, that's what's happening here in this story. Jesus is showing not only that his words are powerful, but also that he experienced an action that was much like ours. That he experienced fear, but like, but like where, it, where it stops is that fear can so much many times stop us, but it doesn't have to because Jesus showed us that it didn't have to. What, there's, there's a couple reasons this morning I want to give you today of why this is so important for us. Two reasons why Jesus' example is more than just mere talk. The first reason today is Jesus could identify as a human being. Jesus could identify as a fellow human being. Jesus was, you know, you know the word, Jesus was God. He was fully God. But he was also fully man. Wrap your head around that for a minute. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's a tough thing to do. Wrap your head around the fact that Jesus was fully God, who had the full power of God, had the authority of God, had all those things, but he was also fully man. It's a tough thing to wrap your head around, isn't it? He could, he was God, he was also, he was God in the flesh, he was God incarnate, as the word says. He was also a man who showed us how to live. That's a huge, huge thing. Jesus had a mom, he had Mary. He was born in, in, a, in, a, in a stable, he was laid in a manger, he was laid in a feeding trough. He probably had pimples as a kid. You know, maybe he went through that awkward 13-year-old stage, you know, where everybody goes through. And, and you know, who knows what was, what was going on. But Jesus was God, but he was also man. So Jesus could identify with our situation. 
couple of years ago, my wife and I went through a, a painful time. And, and, and I talk about this a few times, but and I'm not going to get into the full thing today. But we went through a painful experience where we could not have children. And we lost children in, 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 in uh, uh, some, some miscarriages. And we were told we wouldn't have kids. It's this big, long thing. And I'll get into this morning. But, but it was a, a painful, dark time for my wife and I. It was difficult. It was, it was tough. And we had friends of ours that had gone through similar situations. And I remember when they tell us a story, thinking, wow, that stinks. That's, that's terrible. I feel bad for you. I, I wish I could do something for you. But, but I did not understand. I did not have the ability to grasp and understand really what they're going through until I went through it myself. When I went through the darkness, when I went through the hopelessness, the frustration, the, the, all these things that happened where we were not able to have children, then and only then was I able to relate and understand what my friends were going through. And then we were able to sit and, and pray with people and, and sit and be able to get to know them and then hear their story. And I, there's been times when I've sat and I've cried cry with people over their, 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 their birth problems because I have been there. I can relate. I can understand. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15 says this about Jesus. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Again, it says right there is that he is fully God. He is. Fully, he, he is. But then verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Man, that's a blessing, isn't it? In my life, I, there's been times I've struggled with with sin, I've struggled with fear, I've struggled with these things in my life. But we don't have to go to our God who's just some, you know, lightning bolt throwing God. It's just, you know, you messed up, here you go, you know, you, 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 you did this wrong, there's a lightning bolt for you to get you, you know, I'm going kick to you, kick you in the rear end because you messed up. That's not what we have. We have a God who is fully capable, who's fully able to, as this word right here says, sympathize with our weaknesses because he was there too. Jesus was tempted in all manners, yet was without sin. So what was Jesus' temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was simple. Jesus was tempted to run. Let's, let's be honest right here. He was tempted to run. You know, if you look at him and say, said Jesus, said, Lord, let this cup pass me. In other parts of the Bible, he asked it three times. Lord, let this cup pass me. I don't want to do this. This is going to be tough. He understood the gravity. He understood the bigness of what was about to happen. He knew what was going to happen, and he was scared of it. He was terrified. He was petrified of what was going on right here. He wanted to walk away from this. He was tempted to do that. Now remember though, temptation is not sin, right? We think, well, Jesus tempted. I mean, come on, that's a little extreme. Temptation and action are two very different things. You see why this is potential for a, a stronghold. There's times in my life when I'm tempted to act in a way that is away from God's plan and God's will. That's the human condition. That's what Jesus is showing us here, that he had that, but yet was without sin because he was not double-minded and stable all the way. He was single-minded and had his feet firmly placed on the will and the word of God. That is what kept him away from throwing away his, his future, was kept him away from doing this thing 
thing he was tempted to do. He was tempted to run, but he did not. Here's a truth I want to share with you this morning. The truth is this. A fear-based decision will not be in God's will. A fear-based decision will not be in God's will. I have never made a good decision on fear, and neither have you. I have never in my life said, man, I'm sure glad that I acted in fear and I didn't do what that thing was. There's other accounts of the story again that showed Jesus, why this, Jesus was tempted to have this cup pass from him, but he didn't because he submitted to the word because he knew this was God's plan for his life. And he said, Lord, though I'm tempted in this way, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. Not my will, but Lord, yours be done. Jesus had fear, but thank God we have a Savior who acted above his fear. And he'll have disciples when we also act above our fear is there as well. Fear is always, fear is always there in some degree to keep us from the will and the word of God, isn't it? Think about that for a minute this morning. Think about the times in your life when it have been the most significant times when God has called you to do something where your heart started racing, right? You ever had those kind of moments you never have, you need to start having those moments because that's, that's, that's where faith is drawn. That's where faith is built. We say, God, I can't do this. Lord, this is bigger than me. Lord, this is a little bit crazy. God, I'm not sure what to do here. And our heart begins to race. There's been times in my life where that's been happening. And I said, so, so thank God that our Savior acted above his fear. And that's number two reason this morning we can trust what he says is that he acted above his fear. Now, now, where does fear come from this morning? It came from Satan. Satan brings a spirit of fear. See, this was not the first time Jesus was tempted, is it? You go back a, a few chapters before this, in Luke chapter 4, we find an account there where Jesus was tempted. And again, not just fake temptation, where he's like, oh, he was tempted, but he didn't really was wasn't really tempted. The Bible says he was tempted. He was tempted. And he goes back to, uh, again, back to Luke chapter 4. And, and we'll just read one scripture there, Luke, verse 13. And he says, and, the, and, the, and, the, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In this passage, Jesus had been fasting. Now, I don't know about you, but I have fasted a few times in my life. And fasting is, is work, okay? Let's just be honest this morning. Fasting is work. Fasting is not always like this, you know, amazing, easy thing. Now, what comes after fasting is amazing, right? I mean, what comes after fasting is good. But sometimes in the midst of fasting, it is a lot of work. It's difficult. Jesus had been done fasting. He'd finished this off. So Jesus was in a weak place physically and emotionally. He was this, this weak spot. And the devil comes in and begins to tempt him. Now, is this just a, a, a you know, just happened to be this moment? I don't think so. The devil knows exactly when, these opportune times, to come in and plant seeds of fear or seeds of whatever else in our lives to tempt us away from the will of God, right? He knows when to do those things, when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when things aren't going your way. Those are great times for the enemy to come in and plant temptation, right? When things aren't going, aren't going well. When there's those moments, those opportune times... That is what's happening here in this passage. Jesus is being tempted at, at an opportune time. And Luke tells us that Jesus came under attack. It was tempted by the devil. 
Now, when, if there's any, any, any lick of good in a person, they'll stop. They'll, they'll hold up when things are bad. When I was a kid, I used to torture and, and, and be horrible to my brothers and sister. Okay, let's just be honest. That's what sisters and brothers do. You know, that's, and, and so my brother's back there right now. He'll, he knows how it was when I was a kid. And, and, and you know, we used, to, we used to fight. We had some bickerings and such. But I'll be honest. He may, he may say this is not true, but it's true. Believe me, I'm, I'm preaching he's not. But uh, what, what happens is, you know, we get to this moment where it's just like, okay, there's this threshold of, you know, too far and almost too far, and, and I wouldn't cross the, the threshold of too far. Because there was, there was a sense of, of decency within my heart. Deep down, it was there someplace, but it was there. That's not so with the enemy. The enemy will pick, the enemy will tempt, the enemy will push, the enemy will pull. He will do things, and he will not let up and stop just when you get to the place where it's just a little too far. He will find an opportune time, and it says right here, he'll pounce on us when things are most opportune, and not opportune for us, but opportune for him. He'll pounce, he'll pull, he'll do things like that. When you are feeling the greatest sense of fear, what is the enemy trying to keep you from? That's a question I want to ask you this morning. If he is, is known for pouncing and tempting and pulling and pushing at times when it's the most opportune for him, what is it that you are being tempted to do? What is it that there's, there's fear in your life, there's fear in your place? What is it right now that the enemy is trying to keep you from in the Lord? What is it this morning? Because again, if you see the nature of God and the nature of the enemy, we know that this is how it works. From Luke, fast forward from Luke 4 to, to, to Luke 22 here, our text today. Again, opportune time. He's tired. He knows it's coming. He's weak. Could this be the opportune time that, that, was, that he was talking about back in Luke chapter 4? What is the enemy trying to keep you from in your life? What if we lived our lives in light of truth, not in light of fear? You want to know why Jesus was able to have this situation happen? It's because he lived his life in light of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and many of us know this passage by heart this morning. And it says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound mind. You've you got to recognize for what it is. When you see fear in your life, when you see things, those things in your life, you can't sit here and, and justify it away and say, well, I'm just this and that. No, if you see a spirit of fear that is crippling you and pulling you back from what God wants you to do, what is it, what is it that he's trying to keep you from? And you've got to know what it is for what it is. God do, did not give a spirit of fear. So if it's there, if you see it, it's not from God. It must be from the enemy. You've got to recognize those things and see that. Fear is a spirit from the devil himself to give us a negative view of the future and make, us, and make fear-based decisions that God will not honor. Read that a few again this morning. Fear is a spirit from the devil himself to give us a negative view of the future and make fear-based decisions that God will not honor. On the flip side, faith is a spirit from God that will cause us to see the future as God sees it and cause us to make faith-based decisions that God will honor. You see why, faith, why fear is a big deal right there, right? 
Because many of us who are gripped by fear and gripped by anxiety and gripped by these things are so stuck and so held up in this tightly wound a package of, of fear that's keeping us back from what God wants us to do. It's, a, it's that big of a deal. Satan is always trying to issue a negative view of fear. Negative view of our future, of money, of our kids, of our health, of these kind of things. That we make fear-based decisions that God does not honor because they're based on an unstable mind. One foot on the word, one foot on speculations, and not fully on the mind and the will and the heart of God. Jesus was able to walk through this because Jesus was single-minded. He had his heart in the word. Thank God our, our Savior acted above fear. Now, not all fear is bad, right? Let's, let's be honest this morning. There's some good fear, right? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So some fear actually is good fear. But let's be honest today. I don't have to go too far in this because you know good fear and bad fear, right? You know that if you're driving down the road and you swerve and you go out to the left and you go off into traffic, you get fearful and you pull it back into traffic and you start going in the right direction, right? That's good fear. There's a couple things here I want to share with you about fear. Good fear is circumstantial. It's swerving in the car. It lasts for a moment. And it puts us back on track, and then it's gone because it's done what it's caused it's supposed to do. That's good fear. Bad fear is perpetual. Bad fear hangs on you like a dark cloud that pulls you back from what God wants you to do. That's bad fear. Good fear is circumstantial. Bad fear is perpetual. Good fear is protective. If I'm driving my car and I swerve to the left, that's protective. I'm being protected from making a bad decision. That's a good thing, right? But bad fear is paralyzing. It literally paralyzes us from moving forward. That's bad fear. And many of us struggle with those kind of things. Good fear is empowering. Bad fear is enslaving. When I, a couple of years ago, I was on a plane uh, flying from Detroit to Atlanta and uh, I was on this plane, I was reading my Motor Trend magazine, drinking my, my, my coffee and such, just kind of hanging out there. And I enjoy flying, it's not a bad thing to me, but there's a girl behind me, she was one row to the back and to my left, who did not share my, my care for, for flying. She hated it, I could tell, because she was hyperventilating. I mean, she had the, the barf bag out, you know, she was pumping at her mouth, she was, you know, because she was tr- thinking that she was going to throw up, and so she had it there, and she was petrified, she was screaming, she was crying. I mean, she was, I mean it, was, it was a very, very extreme scene in this plane. She was probably in her mid-20s, and she was with a guy, and this guy was trying to, his best to, like, calm her down, and she was flipping out more, and she was like, shut up, you know, she's going on and on, and there was this, this fight going on between this girl and this guy. She was terrified. She kept saying things like, well, what if it goes down? You know, we're all going to die. You know, she'd say, well, what if, you know, what if we have a problem with this? What if you have a problem with that? She's going on and on and on. She is so fearful of what's about to happen, even though she has literally no idea what's about to happen, right? She's scared to death. It's paralyzing her, and she can't do anything. And people on the plane wanted to paralyze her themselves. They wanted to kick her off, but she couldn't. So we're flying down there, and she said to the guy, this is what I heard her say. She said, I'm never letting you talk me into this again. She said, when we get there, we come back home, we're renting a car. Good luck with that. That's from Detroit to Atlanta, okay? That's a long ways. You, know, you, you, play, you paid for your plane ticket already, you're going to waste that money, plus you're going to drive from you know, Atlanta to Detroit. Have fun with that. Be, it, sounds like, it sounds like a lot of fun. But it was, it was paralyzing her from doing anything. 
Fear had her absolutely enslaved. That's what fear does, doesn't it? It enslaves us. Fear keeps a dark cloud over us. It destroys us. And it it comes right from the enemy himself. Isaiah 42.22 says, There is no peace for the wicked. You can only give what you have, right? The enemy or God owns peace, not Satan. He can't give peace, only God's. So people in rebellion have to buy peace from a bottle or buy peace from a relationship or buy peace from these things because God owns peace. The devil owns the opposite. The devil owns fear. As much as you know the true presence of God when, by, by, by peace, you also have to know the presence of the enemy by his characteristic, which is fear. I've been to foreign services where people say, man, I just felt the presence of the Lord so strong. It was, it was so amazing. I just felt such peace in the room. Well, oppositely, if we're in a place where we can just feel and sense the presence of, of fear, and it's so gripping and so enslaving and so terrible, we have to also know the presence of our enemy. He's there, he works, but it doesn't have to stop us. Jesus showed us that. This is where we get practical this morning. And so how we find it, what do we do if we find ourselves enslaved by fear? Let's continue today as Jesus did in Luke chapter 22. The first thing is be real about your fear. Number one, be real about your fear. Satan has an amazing tool to keep us enslaved in fear. You know what that tool is? Darkness. There's, there's many times in my life if I've struggled through things and been frustrated through things. And I've kept it in darkness. I've kept it in this place where nobody else knows about it. And guess what? It stays there. Why? Because the devil loves darkness. Darkness keeps things from everybody else. And it's, 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 it starts the process for us to continue to be enslaved in things. Be real about your fear. Admit it. Say, man, I am having a hard time with this. I'm struggling with this right now. That's fear. It's being real with fear. Jesus said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Lord, let this cup pass through me. I don't know how much more clear it could be. He was being real about his fear. We're going to, be, going to go away from our fear. We've got to start by being real about it. Come, and, come to grips of it with, like, like, like the enemy that it is. Say, Lord, this is not right. This is an enemy. I want to be free from this thing. Some of us are in fear today because we love our fear, right? Because it's comfortable, it's easy, it's done things for us we supposedly like. And so we've not come to grips with the fact that this fear is an enemy that's holding us back from God's will for our lives. If you're going to find freedom, start by saying, this is an enemy, I don't want it in my life anymore, deal with it. God, I'll be real about this fear. I'm ready to deal with it head on, Lord. I'm making a decision today, a, a lie in the sand moment today, that this will stop now. It's not going forward. It no longer has a home in my life. That's number one. Number two, submit your fears to God. Because where Jesus said, Lord, let's cut past from me, immediately he came back and said, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done. What Jesus was doing there is he was admitting it, but he was also saying, this is submitted to you, Lord Jesus. I am not going to allow this to happen in my life. I love what Mark Twain said about fear. It's a quote here. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of it. I love that. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of it. We talked about this last week. We talked about the presence of strongholds. 
You can know where there's a stronghold by what's going on around you. If you see that there's, you know, walls being built, built between the word of God and between you, if you can sense and feel this, 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 this presence of fear that's debilitating and it's, it's terrible and it's a dark cloud hanging over you, you know it's there, you can see it and recognize it for what it is. There is power when we come and say, Lord Jesus, I submit my life, I submit my heart, I submit my fears to you, Lord Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord Jesus. I will do what you've called me to do. That means if I'm gripped with fear, I remember things like 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. I submit myself to the word of God and allow the word of God be my biggest, my biggest victory, not my own feelings. This week was Veterans Day. We recognized vets for what they, they've done for us and done for our country and done for our nation. And, you know, I, I would assume that a vet, especially those that have given their lives, the, paid the ultimate price for, for freedom, that there's probably been a, a level of fear in their lives, right? They probably had a fear, even on the battlefield, they felt that fear. But what separates heroes, what separates people that, that do the right thing or people that do the wrong thing is they act above their fear, right? See, my fear is not going to stop me from doing what I know is the right thing to do. People who feel the desire for revenge need to act above it. People who feel the desire for sexual temptation need to act above it. Rage and bitterness, act above these things. It's a, it's, it's, it's a part of, of spiritual maturity. We act above these things in our lives. Fear is no different. You've got to do those things. Submit your fears to God. So we have an incredibly powerful tool to combat fear, don't we? It's the same tool that Jesus used to combat fear. And it's the word of God. When he said, especially in Luke chapter 4, when he said, it is written. When he said, it is written. When the enemy came at him and said, well, this is, I'll give you this, I'll do this. Jesus came back and said, it is written. What he's saying there is he's saying simply, Lord, or he's saying simply, Satan, I, I know your situation. I know what you're trying to do. But my truth, the truth of the word, the truth of God's word is the greater truth. And that's what's going to have, have preparation. That's, what, that's what's going to have the, the biggest voice in my life. Lord Jesus, Lord, I want to live my life like that. Lord, it is written. I am not going to allow fear to stop me because this is what the word says. How did Jesus combat the enemy? He combat the enemy by saying, it is written. This is my, 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 my greatest truth. I'll stand on it. I'll believe on it. And Satan, you can't convince me otherwise. How much of our lives and our fear could we, we start to come at and start to combat and start to see gone if we come at it with the word of God? Maybe God's calling you to a ministry and he's calling you to step out in faith and try something new. And your fear says, I can't do that. I can't get involved. I can't do that. I can't do this. I'm just there. I'm just so-and-so. I'm just this. I'm just that. But God's calling you to that thing. But yet you've stopped and you've stopped it for years because you're fearful of it. What if you said and said, Lord, your word says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What if we've made that our greatest word rather than our fears and rather than our, our anxieties? What's going to happen is we'll begin to go past and push past our fear. Great people have fear, but great people act above their fear. Number three today is this. Focus on God's promises and God's love. The Old Testament, God promised 
the land of, of Israel to the Israelites. And it was before they, had, they were in there, they were just a renegade people. They were wandering in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, uh, the wilderness. I mean, they, just, they didn't have a people. They didn't have a land. They were just this, this nomad people. But yet God promised them the land of Israel. You know the story. They, they sent in 12 spies to see the land of Israel. And 10 spies came back and said, there are giants there. They're going to kill us. We cannot possibly go in there. No way. Not going to happen. That was 10 spies. But two spies, Caleb and Joshua, came back with a different story. They said, God promised it. God said, this is how it's going to be. We can take them. You know, though we're like grasshoppers, we're going to take these people. It's going to be okay. Why? Because God's promises said that. And I will choose to stand on the promises of God. When we focus on God's promises and love, we can begin to see fear go away from us. The devil has a way of putting a giant where God gives a promise, right? The devil has a way of putting a giant where God gives a promise. Think of your fears. I'll bet there is some kind of giant standing between you and going through that fear. I know that's how it's been in my life as well this morning. Psalm 23, 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because, Lord, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You may have some big things in your life. You may have some big frustrations. You may have some big, difficult challenges. There may be a giant, giant. (laughs) There may be a huge giant between you and where God wants you to go. That may be the case. be possible. But how big is your God? I know the word says that my God is bigger, my God is stronger, my God is greater. When God's word is in it, when, God were, when God's led us, when God's moved us there, when God's challenged us to do a certain situation, we can stand on his promises and his love. This is why it's so important for us to know the word of God's. And not just let it be a Sunday thing, but be an everyday thing. Because there's blessing in the word of God. If I know God's promises, if I know God's word, if I know God's, God's cautions, if I know the direction God's leading me in, and I can stand with surety and a sure foundation that his word says this, and I believe it, I have weapons that the enemy cannot possibly go away from. That's why knowing God's word is so important, so valuable, and so good. Check out Jesus' mindset, what he had when going to the cross. Psalm 16, 9 through 11, he, said, he says this, I have set, my, set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon me to hell, you will not, you will, or let your Holy One see corruption." You'll make known for me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Stand with this morning if you could today. The devil tempted Jesus with lies and fear. The devil tempted him as saying that this passage I just read will not come true. It will not happen the way God said it will happen. It's not going to be the case. Run away. He was scared. He had fear. But he acted above his fear, and he stood on the promises of God's word and knew that God was going to do what he said he would do. Folks, the same can be said of us. 
He is not a God who, is, who can't relate to us. He's a God who can relate. He's a Lord that did relate, that showed us how to do, and he showed us by being real about our fear, by submitting to God, and by focusing on his promises and his love. Please close your eyes this morning.